Welcome to the Nordic Food Tech Podcast. On this show, we share the stories of how different actors up and down the value chain are working to take climate action through food. It's all about inspiring collaboration, discussing the good that is happening, the challenges we share, and realizing a common vision for our future food system. I'm your host, Annalisa Winther, and let's jump in. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. My guest today is Lauri Reuter, a scientist-turned-investor and a founder and partner of the Nordic Food Tech VC, which is the first fund from the Nordics investing explicitly in Nordic and Baltic early-stage tech companies that are renewing the global food system. The fund was launched in April 2020 with 25 million euro under management, and they are still raising capital. Lowry holds a PhD in biotechnology and worked previously as a researcher and senior specialist of disruptive technologies at VTT Technical Research Center of Finland. He's a part-time urban beekeeper and passionate about building a radically sustainable food system for this planet and the next one. Join us for a wide-ranging conversation as we discuss how the fund was started, their investment thesis, which is largely focused on drawing research-based technology out of universities, as well as key trends and challenges for startups in the Nordics. All right, so I would love to start the show by diving a little bit into your background and how you got into what you're doing today. So the first question is, what was the genesis of the Nordic Food Tech VC, and what is your thesis for investing? Wow. Okay, how far from the history do we start? Um, basically, we we are a bunch of people who everybody in our own kind of perspectives and domains saw that there is something we need to do about food and the food system and about bringing new technologies to you know relevant business and something to something that makes really impact. And what we saw is that we are, we're basically missing a food tech fund in the Nordics. And then we thought, you know, if, if no one else is going to do it, then, then we need to do it. And, um, and that's, that's how we started. <laughs> and now we, are, now we managed to put together a, uh, a VC fund that is uh, investing in early stage food tech companies in the Nordics. Anything that takes the best new fast developing technologies and uses that to build a better, more sustainable, more healthy uh, food system for the planet. And who are the different partners that are behind it? You mentioned a bunch of different guys. Yeah. So it's, um, it's me. Um, I'm uh, sort, of, uh, sort of the geek of the team. Uh, my, uh, my background in science... Uh, black belt in biotechnology and so forth. Um, so I, I, I hope I can bring some, some of the understanding of science and technology development to the table. Um, then there is um, uh, Becca. He's, um, he's a food entrepreneur and has been one for a very long time. He's been building food companies uh, since early 90s, uh, built many of them as a founder, as a CEO, as a you know board member, as an investor, um, and he wanted to scale that. Obviously, building building new companies one by one is, is not something that you can do. Uh, well, more than one by one. Uh, the third guy is is Mika. 
he's been working in uh, in the food retail and in the food industry, uh, building food brands, bringing new products to market, developing new products. So um, he has a very good understanding of of the food industry, and he's well. His frustration was in uh, <laughs> well, the bigger food companies not moving fast enough, not moving bold enough to actually make a big difference. And then the fourth guy is, is Yari. Uh, he's, uh, well, sort of a usual suspect in the VC fund, an IT entrepreneur, then turned into a uh, VC investor uh, and uh, knows, knows how, how building new companies works out and how to run these VC funds. Um, but he's also been uh, personally invested in food in, in some of the most interesting uh, food companies around. So he also wanted to move a bit more from the from the IT and digitalization to the domain of food. And we, we had this kind of immediate understanding that, that this is the sort of team it takes, that you, you cover the science, you cover the entrepreneurship and the company building and the, the industrial part of it, and also the investment and, and financing part of it. Mm-hmm. And you said you have a black belt in science. So what's your... <laughs> personal story of how you went from that domain to then becoming an investor yeah so i you know i think it all starts from your childhood trauma right uh i <laughs> basically <laughs> basically grew up in a, in a greenhouse we had this living in this old house where the backyard was what well, you know once was a, a commercial garden so there was big greenhouses and then we were growing all kinds of stuff for for our own use mostly and that was that was where I spent my summers and I was I was just fascinated about the uh, taste and flavors of stuff that grows up from the ground you know the fact that plants take sunlight and dirt and turn that into something that tastes great and you know then then you start asking those questions you know why does that happen and how does it work out? And my mom was, was teaching chemistry and physics and obviously she could answer some of the questions, but then comes a the time when your mom cannot answer all the questions anymore and you have to go to uh, university and start studying uh, biochemistry and molecular biology and cell biology to really figure it out. And uh, I was, I think my, the kind of biggest fascination for me was that um, kind of instead of only studying biology, studying how life works, you could also use life as as a tool to make things and do things. So biotechnology, and that was that was the rabbit hole I spent a long time in, and, and did my PhD in, in plant biotechnology. So you ended up going and studying this and getting your PhD in this area, and then you ended up working with VTT. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into that? part of your career yeah so um so vtt was actually where i did my my phd research so i went there as a, as a researcher um doing my doing my uh, doctoral thesis and that that took a few years vtt is a is a fantastic place of you know uh, for doing applied research not a university uh but an applied research uh center with with uh, really a focus on on using the best possible research to do something impactful. Um, but then, you know, uh, being after being a researcher for a while, it kind of, uh, I grew a bit, bit frustrated to that maybe. 
in in a sense that I felt that there is there's already so many things we know there is so much capabilities in this world and still we're not utilizing that well enough so I moved within VTT from uh, research to uh, to strategy work to actually figure out how to how to move all that capability from the academic context into well reality into something that makes makes an impact uh, especially in shape of shape of new companies um, sort of sort of research based companies and that was a very very interesting couple of years because that that gap in between research and business is is huge it's not trivial at all especially i would say in, in northern europe what was so interesting about it it's um somehow it turns out that that those are very different those seem to be very different worlds the whole mindset of doing research is so different from the uh from the mindset of building companies that make things while both are actually trying to achieve the same goals <laughs> So, uh, so kind of bringing bringing scientists to the context of 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 building building products and companies was was really exciting, and seeing seeing these re- ex- very experienced researchers kind of getting the getting the notion that I could actually build something. I could take all this that I'm really really good at and build something around it, build a company around it, and that was. That was really eye-opening experience, and also bringing you know people from business um, to the kind of a uh, uh, chocolate factory of science, and bring them in there and, and show all the amazing things that are happening you know in in the labs, and, and those encounters, that sort of interface there, uh, it's, it's that's where the magic happens, really. And how is that weaved into the kind of companies you guys focus on investing in today? Yeah, so like I said, I'm, I mean, our our thesis really is that there is, especially in the Nordics, there's a lot of capabilities, a lot of really high quality research and technology development uh, that could be used for the uh, better of the food system. But that gap is quite big. So uh, what we hope that we can do is to um, to back those early stage, well, researchers turned entrepreneurs and help them. Well, first of all, obviously with the funding, but also helping them to set up the companies and, and get them running, get them going, uh, and and help with those early steps. And also, maybe uh, encourage also more and more younger scientists to think. Think of entrepreneurship or, or company building as, as a possible uh, career option. That's sort of building, you know, your your uh, your pipeline from from very early on, obviously. And you mentioned that there's this big need in the Nordics to bridge the gap because there is so much amazing science, but there isn't necessarily a clear track for commercializing that and bringing it to market. And as you've identified, one thing is for there to be private VC money. But what other yeah. actions do you see that are possible for closing that gap or that need to be done in order to really make this a viable path where we're getting that innovation out of the university? You know, I think 
I think there there is all kinds of funding instruments for that in in all the Nordic countries, and, and they are actually quite good. Uh, but I think the the most important things are rather simple. I would say just facilitating that dialogue between the business and the science. Uh, so sort of finding the right problems to solve. Uh, researchers are really good at finding finding solutions, but they're not always that great at finding the right problems to solve. So enabling that dialogue is something extremely important. And and we don't really have culture for that. For how I see that in the Nordics we have, especially in the Nordics, we have kept kept the science and and business quite efficiently separated. And in a way that's good for the fundamental research that you get the get the freedom to, you know, study what the world is and how it works. But we also need that applied research that uh, works in, in really tight interaction with the with the business and the real life problems. Uh, and the second thing that I think we definitely need to do is is um, is help help early stage researchers and, and students even to realize the possibilities in in uh, entrepreneurship that one way of of using your skills one way of using all that education that you got is to build a company around it and that's something that is is quite obvious how i see it in in the us for example i mean you go to university to get really good at something and then build a company around it whereas in in finland i think you know we go to university to get really good at something to become a professor on that topic mm. and building a company is not really an, a clear option that we see. So how do you find these startups that are working within science that you think have the potential to really solve a problem? And from there, how do you enable them to think differently so that they do spin out and commercialize? Uh, it's obviously a lot of uh, collaboration with the research institutions and universities and, and really, you know, uh, uh, diving into that world and I, I would like to think that I never really got out of that world. Uh, I, I'm still there. Um, and talking, talking to people who do research and then kind of figuring out together if the technologies, if the solutions are something that could actually become a company and if the people think that that might be a path for them. Um, but there's obviously already already a lot of uh, researchers who, who are starting companies and are looking for those first investors. Um, and there's, it's, well, let's put it this way. We, there isn't that many food tech investors in the Nordic. So uh, it's, it's quite easy for them to, it has been quite easy for them to reach out to us and, and, and start that, that discussion. And we are really, really happy to do that. And obviously, I would say that we know we know quite well where the researchers are coming from, and we we speak the same language. Would you say that you experience a lot more researchers who have an entrepreneurial mindset that are reaching out to you, or are you approaching researchers who you think have something really exciting and then try and convince them to become entrepreneurs or give you that technology? I would say until now it has been has been mostly uh, researchers reaching out to us. I mean, we have, the fund is still very young. 
uh, we we started uh, started operating this year April. So we are still very much getting things up and running. Um, so I hope that in the future we will get a chance to do much more of the let's say upstream work and and work with the uh, uh, with the uh, research and uh, people who are not not that yet so close to to actually launching the companies, uh, but that's still uh, something that we will we are planning to do in the future. Also, when the situation gets a bit easier and it's easier to meet meet people. Yeah, when it's no longer coronavirus. Uh, exactly. Diving into a couple facts about the fund, can you tell me what the size of the fund is and what size deals you typically aim to invest in? So we're now um, managing roughly a 30 uh, million euro fund, but we're still fundraising. So we are, uh, we're building this into a uh, 50, euro, 50 million euro fund, um, which is a relatively small size for a VC fund, but it's, uh, it's something that we feel uh, that can make a significant impact here in the, in the Nordics and Baltics. And the um, the size of the tickets that we are we're writing is um, um, the, the first tickets are something like between you know a couple of hundred of thousand of euros and to to roughly a million. So we have made made now a couple of of half a million euro investments by now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we are we we know that building food companies is uh, takes a while, so we are we are here for the uh, for the long run. And we, we know that we will invest most of the money in the follow-on follow on rounds for the companies that are really making a great work. So with that said, what is the horizon for the fund? Um, so it's a 10-year 10 10 year fund. So we will be around for, for a while. And obviously, we also, we also take, a, take a long perspective on, on what needs to be built. We are quite aware that if you start an early, especially, you know, really research and tech heavy company, it will take years before selling the actual product and the world might be different at that point. So we need to have our eyes in the horizon and maybe even beyond that. So with that in mind that you're really aiming to develop long-term relationships, what kind of due diligence do you do on companies that you decide to take an early investment in? No, that's a that's a very good question. Like I said, I just made the jump from from <laughs> research to VC. I have I have very little clue how how the others are actually making their <laughs> their due diligence. Um, but some things that are really important for us is that is that the technology is is there. I mean, I think that might make might kind of separate us a bit from from other VCs. Um, we don't need to see a ready product. We don't necessarily need to, you know, have a, a team that has all those really, really, really good commercial experience or marketing experience in the beginning. But we do want to see that there is solid technology that the company is built on. And that's something that we are paying a lot of attention to. Obviously, I mean, it needs to be, it needs to be an ambitious team um, with, uh, with a big vision of what they're doing. And we are well when it comes to food it's um it's pretty much the only way to do investments is is to make sure that it builds a it builds a better world i mean we really want to make sure that 
every one of the companies that we work with is really making an impact uh, to a more sustainable uh, food system and a more healthy food system. Another way of putting the question is to say, when somebody wants to reach out to you and contact you, what should they have prepared or in order that would help you to kickstart the relationship and evaluate it? Well, I would say, I would say that, you know, only thing you need to, to reach out to us is, is your phone and just, you know, call us up. Hmm. We, are, we are very much re- willing to, you know, talk and discuss even, you know, ideas and visions. And, and you know, then, then just, you know, talk about, you know, how to take things forward and, and, and then figure out what would be the right time for us to start talking about, you know, actually making an investment. But what we want to do is to really support the whole food tech ecosystem in the Nordics and Baltics and connect the people with the, with the right other people and with the right technologies, maybe. So um, there is no wrong time reaching out to us. Yeah. So you mentioned visions and that you like sparring and just chatting with people about what could be or what the potential could be. So what would be the ideal portfolio for the Nordic Food Tech VC in 10 years? Oh, that, that's a sweet question. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, so food will change a lot. I mean, that's very clear. It will need to change a lot. And, and new technology is pretty much what will change the food system. So I think it's, it's fundamentally important that we have a strong vision of of the possible futures, and so we have been kind of uh, throwing around these these ideas of what kind of companies do we want to have in our portfolio ten years from now, and and you know what might the world look like in ten years from now, and that's that's an extremely tough question. I mean, <laughs> how do you even start answering that? Um, but I think, I think you know, um, if you just throw around a few ideas, I would love to see in 10 years from now, for example, a company that makes a very easy uh, consumer product or consumer um, service that would function as your, you know, personal nutritionist so that it will tell you exactly what you should be eating the next moment. And also it would know exactly what's available and what's in season right now. It's kind of helping us to make the right decisions with the everyday eating, because that is extremely difficult. And our diets have a massive impact to the environment and our own health. Another thing could be um, a company that utilizes either some technology or just a really smart business model um, to enable the farmers to really profit um, from uh, carbon sequestration because agriculture farming can be either a carbon source or a carbon sink and we have to make sure if we want to turn the food system into carbon sink instead of a source we need to make sure that there is incentives for that and i think that could be could be done through some really smart technologies or, or business models in that area. For example, uh, I'm absolutely certain that 
many of the animal-based products that we're eating now will be completely replaced by something else in, in 10 years. What, what is not yet done is a company that can create a crate parmesan or mozzarella cheese without animals. And that would be, personally, the holy grail. And I think many, many would agree. Well, I mean, what would you like to see there in 10 years? That is a great question. And you and I have <laughs> teased that it would be really fun to do another episode where we brainstorm what that could be yeah. and almost create a challenge where we say, if you are able to succeed in producing one of these, we have a leaderboard and then you get to knock someone out and your name gets up there for being the record holder. Exactly. Of what does the world need to see? What are the ideas out there and just popcorn them out? Because I think there's so much potential of the different things that can be done. But I think it's also yeah. very much related to what the strengths are that we have in the Nordics. And one thing I wonder is, um, I am not as familiar with the Finnish market. I generally find that one, I have the challenge of a language barrier of not speaking Finnish. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's easier to read Swedish or Norwegian than it is when it comes to doing research and getting a sense of what's happening there and what the pulse is at Finland when it comes to food tech. So I would love to hear from you. What are the most exciting things that you see happening in Finland when it comes to food? Like I said, many things are possible and we should really focus, you know, what are the important questions to answer? But you also need to take into consideration, you know, what, what are the exceptional tools that we have at hand in the Nordics? And obviously Denmark is, is super strong in, in the biotech. Uh, there is strong industry in that area that, that, gives a lot of uh, kind of legacy to a lot of really high quality research. But in general, in Nordics, um, um, we, we have this tradition and culture of building welfare societies and really making sure that we together take care of health of, of each other. And, and that's something that kind of develops a very unique environment for, for creating food tech. Also, we're all producing food in a very extreme environment. I mean, if you think of Finland, of all the places on the planet, it's a pretty hostile environment for any sort of living things, mm, yeah, um, not to mention agriculture. So if we can, if we can pull that off in Finland, um, I mean, we, we've had to develop a lot of technology and a lot of really smart ideas how to, how to do it. And to be honest, the rest of the world will be facing hard time when it comes to climate change and, and coping with uh, with that and food production at the same time so in that sense we have we have a really good starting point here to develop interesting things yeah. um so the welfare society the healthcare that we have um the the sort of legacy of the biotech industry in, in denmark or and the forest and paper industry in, in finland also in sweden uh those those give a lot of tools that are are around and i would say that the most interesting things in food tech will actually come from outside of food, from some other areas of technology. Take, for example, Solar Foods, one of the, I think, most interesting companies around. Uh, they, they're basically making uh, protein from, from thin air. And the guy started from, from energy sector. I mean, it, it wasn't really, the first idea wasn't really food related, but then it kind of made that leap into, into the food when they, they realize that there is use for this technology in the, in the food domain. So in that sense, I'm, I'm kind of keeping my, my eyes up, kind of one eye in the food system, in the food sector, and one eye in, the, in all of the other technologies around it that might make that leap into 
the food domain. Yeah, it's about the convergence of the technology and what happens when you start seeing artificial intelligence come into food or biotech and food, nanotech and food, robotics and food, and what the potential can be there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, some, some, you know, if if you'd ask for definition for a food tech, it's just technology, technology that is applied in food. It's not a certain set of technologies. It's all the technology um, when you when you put it in the food context. Yeah, I like the point you made. I mean, with this exception of southern Sweden and Denmark being agricultural kind of societies that it is a lot about developing food in extreme environments. And when we talk about mm-hmm. climate change, we are leaders in doing that and have been for a while. Are there other foods beyond solar foods where you really see a stronghold or you've noticed something exciting or surprising when it comes to what's happening in Finland? Um, I actually am surprised about the greenhouses. I mean, we are producing in Finland fresh foods all year round which is very surprising in this this environment and it turns out that the volumes are quite high we have uh, we have i think it's roughly five times more uh, greenhouse area in finland in all year round production than in sweden and we actually you know a whole lot smaller population so within nordics finland has by far most greenhouses so we are we become very good at operating kind of closed environment agriculture or what's really close to you know vertical farming uh, in Finland I guess mostly due to the really harsh environment some other you know you might think that you know Netherlands Netherlands has a lot of greenhouses sure they do Uh, but the environment is also much easier for for greenhouse production in Netherlands when it comes to the really harsh conditions there's a lot of really good Finnish and also Danish uh, technology in, in building those greenhouses and operating them. Mm. One of the things that we did before this episode was put a call out on Instagram and LinkedIn where we said if any listeners had any questions that they would like to ask for today. And there's one question that I really loved that was asking, how can we create more patient money and what alternatives would there be to BC funding that could fund a bit slower, more impactful, deep tech or science-based products, knowing that a VC tends to have a 10-year long lifespan and a lot of these uh, solutions take a lot longer than that. And I would even add that it's not just within deep tech, maybe that's a bit of a longer time horizon, but I've heard from many startups in the Nordics that one, they struggle since there's not so many investors that have a background in food And two, it's extremely capital intensive when you want to start any kind of food company because you have, it's like hardware. There's upfront costs Mm, to having to do your prototype, whether that be an actual food you can eat or something that's more related to science and technology that would happen in, uh, in another context. So what do you see as the potential for developing more patient money, knowing that this is the dynamic of how funding works today? So, um, <laughs> I'm not completely sure if I agree with the need for more patient money. I think when it comes to renewing the food system, we don't need to be patient. We need we need more sense of urgency. We need to do things right now and fast. Um, uh, so that might be my my approach to it. Uh, but yes, then again, 
it's absolutely right that that make, building many of these companies will take time and they will take it will take a lot of capital and and how we're seeing it is that that we are well obviously a vc company with you know 10 year 10 year uh, lifetime of the fund so we need to we need to step out from we need to make our exit from the companies you know in in certain amount of time but we we're not even thinking that uh, we will take these companies all the way to you know where they are already scaling massive sales in the market. So we know that that we are helping helping the companies in the beginning. We're working with them hard to get started and get going. And then at some point, other investors will need to step in with uh, investors with probably deeper pockets and with other sort of. Uh, time span than than us and that's okay so it's 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 an expectation that we uh, we are aware of and we also are very happy to communicate and plan out uh with the with the founders that we work with um so it's it's not that you have to have to be on the market it's not that you have to have all that sales in in a couple of years not not at all um so you have to realize that 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 timeline yeah. And when it comes to when it comes to these, you know, sort of business being very capital intensive, I'm I'm also not sure if I agree with that either because I mean sure it's not software development, that's that's clear. But it's not that different from all kinds of other technology companies building physical products. I mean you, yeah, you need to build your production facility or use some sort of contract manufacturing maybe at some point. Um, and yes, sometimes it, it does require some very specific equipment, but there are funding instruments for that. Um, companies rarely own their own, you know, uh, kind of um, buildings and walls around their production. So it's it's something we can totally manage. What are the financial instruments that you know of that can be used to help fund production? Um I mean, quite simply, you know, banks, <laughs> that's what banks are for. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite a clear, clear situation when you, when you buy or rent uh, facilities or, you know, production site, it's uh, banks basically owning the walls and that's fine. It's okay. Uh, also, if you, if you have to buy production instruments, machines, they're also pretty straightforward to to fund with uh, with loans. So I mean, it's it's not that different from any other industry. But also, there are there are new um, new ways to do that. I mean, we were we had just we just saw um, a launch of a climate fund in Finland uh, that is specifically uh, uh, funding these uh, scale up operations, and they are really there for the impact. So that's one great way of. Uh, of doing that with also kind of public support. Yeah, I'm curious uh, if listeners have the experience of going to banks and having banks say, oh, you're an early stage startup. Let's definitely fund that and take the risk of helping you with your production. Because <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty sure I mean, most obviously. of the stories I've heard are not necessarily in that category and they get shut down when they walk in the door. But it's a good idea for a guest to have an investor, a banker in and talk to them about how they think about helping these companies. Because you also mentioned government, but I think that is the thing, too, of we rely a lot on government to provide early money. But what happens if they're not available to do that? 
I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, so, I mean, what, what's really the, the prerequisite here is that you have a great product and you have a good company and you can create that belief that you're doing something that really matters and will scale. I mean, obviously that needs to be there. No, no bank will uh, fund, uh, no investor will fund something that is just, you know, totally out there. Um, so a great idea, a great product, a great technology to actually make that happen is, is obviously needed. But once that is there and once the timing is right, I'm really confident that there is, there is capital in this world to get those things done. I, I wouldn't see that as a problem. And when it comes to the phase before that, where people are the testing and figuring it out, uh, is there anything else you're aware of? Or is there something you'd say we need? Because there definitely is a university environment. I know plenty of companies struggle where if they no longer are a member of the university, they can't use the high-tech facilities there. And then you also have the situation of mm-hmm. government money, which now maybe we're starting to see funds that'll you know, help to fund production very early on. There aren't a lot of VCs who are willing to take that risk so early and you know make a seed investment where they provide a lot of upfront capital to test a hypothesis, more or less. So is there anything else you can think of where startups in the Nordics can look to get that early money that they need to get it off the ground? So, I mean, if you mean that sort of uh, money to do research and kind of kind of test around with with some with technology that's not quite there yet. I would see that really as that is the role of research and and a lot of that exists in the research community and in the universities. I think of more the first commercialization step. Yeah, I mean th- that is the critical thing. But if you are an entrepreneur with you know you know that there's a problem in this world and you know that it you know should be and could be solved but you just have no idea what that technology might be find the researchers, find the people who have been working on those things already for a long time and, and team up. Because yeah. um, our our societies are supporting a lot of that research and technology development in the universities. It's there. Uh, so starting from the scratch is, is very difficult if you have no idea what you're starting to build. That's really hard. Uh, and that's why that's why we see a really, you know, really a sweet spot in in finding those technologies that actually already exist in this world, but in the academic context. Yeah. And I've definitely heard of forums or events where entrepreneurs are invited to meet with researchers and they almost do a matchmaking speed dating kind of night where um, you try and and find founders. We should do that a whole lot more. Yeah. There's a lot of bridges to be built. And one thing I'm wondering too is if you were going to start a company tomorrow, what would you focus it on? Oh, so if I could start a startup tomorrow, now that, that's an extremely good question. Now, you, you, know, you know, the reason why I'm actually doing, why I've actually, you know, became an investor instead of an entrepreneur is that it was so difficult if you kind of even the even the idea that you have to you know pick one and then work on that for years, I thought it much more fun to work with uh, you know many things and and you know with the big picture big picture. Um, one thing that I would start. Um, that's a tricky one. I don't know. 
That's fine. Another uh, question I wanted to ask also on behalf of whoever might be listening is that what would you like to see more of from entrepreneurs or is there any advice you'd like to share in terms of where you sit and what you've seen that could help them on their journey? Think big, really think big and think of the impact you're making. I mean, that's when it comes to food, I would see the only way of going forward is that you're really creating, really making impact uh, when it comes to the uh, you know environmental impacts of food or the resource efficiency of how we produce food or the health impacts of food. If you can show that, then you're, then you're on the right track. Think of that. I mean, it's not just coming up with, a, with another company to to, to make money and make, you know, a product that people want. Uh, but it needs to be for the, for the better of the planet. And that's, and that thinking around that impact, I mean, be bold with that. Be bold to think big enough because uh, fresh companies working with the right technologies can do a massive difference if they think big enough. So if you were to think big, what would be your vision for the future of food in 10 to 15 years? Hmm. Well, you know, I hope that in the long run, I hope that when I'm old, <laughs> so uh, I can look back and, and see this time as a, as a, as a very interesting period in the, in the human history and history of food system. And as a, t- as a time when we made this huge pivot I started changing things. I would like to see much large part of the current agricultural land being uh, actually reforested and rewildered, kind of left for the wildlife. Uh, the, the loss of biodiversity is one of the biggest problem of, of human history. And, and a big reason to that is the land use. I hope that is be kind of uh, that that is turning. You know, by the time when I'm old, I hope that that we have turned the whole agricultural system into a carbon sink. It's not it, it's not enough to make it carbon neutral. It needs to be binding carbon back into the soil. Um, that needs to happen. I hope that when I'm old, <laughs> we uh, we look back to this time and. And, uh, and, and we have stopped already using large mammals as, as you know, tools of food production. We will see a bit of a, bit of a strange time in our history that we used to do it in the, you know, the, in the 2020s. And we are mostly, mostly producing the delicious foods that we want to eat by, by other means and turned mostly into plant-based diets. I would also like to live in a world when I'm old where where we are living much, much healthier. I mean, huge parts, I mean, ridiculous part of, of our diseases um, are, are diet related. And there's absolutely no reason for that. It's just that we're, we're not making the right decisions of what we put in our mouths. And I mean, I'm sure it's, it is difficult to, to eat healthy. 
but I'm sure that in the coming decades, we will find extremely good tools to, to make a big difference there. I, I want to, you know, I li- want to live into, you know, my 120, 150 years birthday. And big part of that is that, that, you know, I need to, I need to eat healthy. Mm. So to make it to that age or that food system, what do you think we're missing to get there? Mm. We're missing, we're missing some technologies. Uh, that's for sure. And it's really hard to say what, because you will you will see them and you will recognize them once you see them. Uh, but it's really hard to see what we're missing now. Uh, one of the interesting field that is developing fast is the use of of any single cell organisms, microbes, cells, as uh, kind of becoming the third leg of food production next to plants and animals. That that is some something that is developing fast. Um, but what we're also missing is um, sort of a change in the mindset when it comes to food. I mean, we have the, the role of kings and governments throughout human history has been to provide as much food as possible for their people to keep them happy. Um, and we're kind of still living in that world where the role of food industries and societies is to provide as much food for everyone as possible. But I think we are seeing, we will see a change in that. And the role will be to provide healthy nutrition instead of all the possible choices you could imagine of. And that until now, you know, people have been free to eat as much and whatever they want to, and it's been their own private thing. Um, and their choice, but that might be changing as well, because especially, especially in in the Nordics, where where we are, uh, where we uh, share our healthcare expenses, um, it's it's you know it's not really only my problem. If I if I destroy my health by eating wrong things, it's everybody's problem. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the whole whole coronavirus situation kind of highlights the the fact that that health is a, is a societal thing. It's not it's not, not your thing. You cover your mouth and wash your hands. It's, it's, you know, a thing that we all share. So that mindset in in um, in eating healthily and also eating in a way that is is better for the environment is something that we need to we need to change. And that's you know, you don't need technology to change mindset, actually. It's interesting to think of the link between food and welfare. I know there are history uh, moments in history in the Nordics where land reforms redistributed the farmland to make sure that even if the economy collapsed, people were still able to produce their own food to sustain themselves. Yeah. So when you talk about yeah. distribution of wealth as well as the challenges we're going to see in the future, it'll be interesting to see if you know we kind of all go back to having our little plots of land or even indoor vertical farming, whatever the next generation that looks like where every each household is able to sustain themselves um, because it's, it isn't just about the economy. I don't think, I don't think we're going back. I don't think there is any way we can go back in time. Um, I mean, we, we are way past the point where every family could produce their own food and we're not going back to that world. Even if you could, even if you, even if there would be small vertical farms or whatever, you know, in, in houses, in buildings, in, in cities, 
still producing food is something that takes a lot of expertise. You need to be a professional to run those things. Even though some of those hydroponics are becoming kind of really user-friendly and easy, still producing a lot of food that is safe and affordable, it takes professionals. So I don't, I don't believe we're going to go back into that world where every family could produce their own food. We are, we are already fundamentally dependent on each other and on the society to function. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of okay with that. But yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the link between, between health and society is, is super interesting. And, you know, in, in Finland, we've had, since the, since the last wars, we've had free school lunch for everyone. So, you know, from the point you go to your, you know, kindergarten, to the point where you, you, you finish your high school, the society provides your lunch. And I think that is absolutely fantastic. So we are already kind of uh, taking care of each other's eating as a society. And I think that's wonderful. Health is wealth and food is medicine. Yeah, or well, at least eating healthy uh, helps you to avoid taking medicine. <laughs> yeah. One thing I also wanted to ask that was a question from a listener is, what have you learned from nature and bees? You are also an urban beekeeper. And how have you applied that to your journey in food and being a researcher and food investor today? Yeah, so I, I am a third generation beekeeper. Uh, and it's, uh, it's one of those things that keeps my feet in the ground. Um, uh, there are so many things I have learned from bees. Um, but I think, I think especially they, they keep me wondering about how, how complex and amazing life is and, and the ecosystems. I mean, you can, you can obviously, you know, do beekeeping. You can take sort of, sort of, sort of take care of the, of the, uh, those insects, but in the end they are, they are fantastic creatures that do whatever they want to anyway. Uh, and that's how life is. We cannot fully control it. We cannot fully control our environment. We cannot fully control the biological systems that we use for, for producing our food. And at the same time, you know, keeping, keeping connected to that, I, it kind of reminds me of how important it is to leave most of the planet untouched. And that is something that you cannot highlight enough. We need to leave most of the planet untouched. Because we, we, there, it's, it, it would be insane to think that we can control environments uh, where diverse life would would you know flourish. So the most important rule of of preserving nature and and biodiversity is don't touch it. <laughs> That's fun. I I know yeah. not everyone is going to become a beekeeper necessarily, but I'm wondering if there is any other books or resources that have shaped how you think about food and agriculture or the future that you would want to recommend to others. Oh, I, I would say, I mean, very recently, the, the new documentary from, uh, from David Attenborough and, and Netflix, the uh, A Life on This Planet, that's how it's called, right? Mm, I think so. Uh, w watch it. I mean, it's, it's extremely good. One of the most important documentaries 
in, in a long, a long time. Uh, yeah, watch that. That's a good start. And wrapping up here, the last two questions I have for you are one, handing you the microphone yet again, is there anything that you are looking for by means of collaboration, partnership, maybe, uh, I don't know, whatever it could be, any ask that you might have for listeners since we can use the wisdom of the crowd to solve any kind of problem on this show? And then what's the best way for someone to get in touch with you if they either want to reach out because they heard something today, had an idea for an episode, or a uh, they want to pitch something to you, spar, whatever it might be. So collaborations and the best way to get in touch. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the best way to get in touch is, for example, through LinkedIn. That's uh, easy and straightforward. Uh, drop me a message there. Um, what we are looking for now is, well, first of all, we're still fundraising for the fund. So uh, if you if you really, really want to make a huge impact in the food system and you are a professional investor or running a family office or, or such, I mean, we're still looking for a couple of good investors for the fund. Uh, but we're also looking for those great companies to, to start working with and, and great entrepreneurs and scientists and inventors. So if you have a bold idea of what we should do for the food system, if you have a bold vision of what should change, I mean, reach out to me and let's, let's talk, let's, let's build that vision together. Um, also, what, what, we will be, what we will be needing, what the ecosystem really needs is experienced entrepreneurs, passionate entrepreneurs who could join up with these tech teams to help building the companies around technologies and really, you know, hardcore expertise. So if you're really looking for that, you know, next thing, reach out to me and let's let's see what's out there. Yeah, very cool. Uh, when it comes to finding the investors, is your fund exclusively looking for investors from the Nordics to be part of this fund or can they come from anywhere in the world? Uh, anywhere in the Europe. That's where we can uh, we can take funds from. Right. Unfortunately, uh, uh, we can take only uh, only professional investors in the fund at this point. I would very much like to see this this kind of you know very impactful and and important field being something where every one of us could invest. Uh, and well, I, I hope that 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 kind of funds will also emerge uh, soon enough. But at, at this point, uh, we can only. Uh, take on board uh, professional investors. Yeah. Well, this conversation has had my brain firing in all different directions around what the future can be and the technological possibilities coming out of the Nordics. So thank you for coming on and sharing how you're working in that space. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure. All right, guys, that's all for today. You can find the show notes and more episodes at nordicfoodtech.io. And if you like what you hear, please be generous and take the time to rate the show or share it on social media. This is all about creating better food solutions, and we can't do that without your help. I'm Annalisa Winther, and let's spread the word about the Nordic food tech ecosystem together. See you next time.